And we're back with you here live in the studio with uh, Kathy Lara and Aaron Pyle from the Indigenous Cultures Institute. We're going to be talking about the Sacred Springs Powwow coming up next week. And uh, this is Ryasis here that, uh, except an hour early tonight, we're going to be also coming up at 7 o'clock tonight. So uh, stay with us. Don't worry. We haven't shifted the schedule around. This is just uh, we're taking the second half of a revolving door today for uh uh, for this so Kathy glad to have you back in the studio it's nice and hot and looking forward to though the uh, a little cooler weather I think they have predicted for next weekend uh, for the powwow well, hopefully that'll be the case because we really do need um, to have some cool weather and, and some nice weather for for the event there so it'd be nice if we had some some nice weather but anyway I have to tell you I was telling Aaron that I have just been waiting for the show with such anticipation and I'm so glad that it's here and you know how my mind works it, it just races and uh, but I want to I want to welcome you to the show and I'd like to start uh, the show by asking you to tell us a little bit about yourself absolutely uh, right off the bat thank you to both Rob and Kathy having us on today it's always fun coming down here and sharing a little stories about the powwow so I appreciate that a uh, little bit about myself. Uh, I am a member of the Choctaw Nation of Oklahoma. I grew up there in southeastern Oklahoma on the Choctaw Reservation. But, oh, around about the age of 13, moved here to Central Texas, and it has been home ever since. And, you know, growing up in that part of the world, there on the Choctaw Reservation, Native culture is just interwoven into everyday life, right? The teachers I had were Choctaw. The kids I played with in town were Choctaw. It's kind of just kind of the big part of living in that part of the world. So moving here to Central Texas, to a certain degree, was plucked out of that environment, right? Didn't have as much opportunity to engage with that part of my identity. It wasn't until I was a teenager going to school here at Texas State that there on the university, I stumbled across the campus powwow they were having, and that gave me the opportunity to meet the vendors, meet the elders of Four Winds Intertribal Society, of Indigenous Cultures Institute, and a lot of these folks that have come on to become friends and mentors over the years. So I was just got a little shout out to the power of having Native culture in these spaces, right? It gave me an opportunity to kind of connect with a big part of, an important part of my identity. So did you, when you left the reservation, um, can you give me an idea of how you saw, saw life outside of the reservation as opposed to inside the reservation? I mean, what, what, was there a major change or something that you can say, oh, well, this uh, affected me a little bit uh, in, in a different kind of way? Or Sure. I mean, a lot of that comes down to the difference from moving from a small rural community to we moved up to Georgetown, Texas, which is still on the outskirts of Austin. It was a little more on the outskirts of Austin when we moved there than it is now. But <laughs> So the difference between moving from a rural area to a part of the world that's bustling, a boom city, can be a bit of a cultural shocker, right? Um, even the breakdown of all of a sudden surrounded by Native culture, of you know a lot of brown folks a lot of folks who know powwow and a lot of folks who know this type of culture and then all of a sudden again being disconnected to that it was a change i was fortunate in that kind of that age of 13 that that's a good time for that kind of change right to be able to move up and still find your footing in high school and that sort of thing Uh, but again it took several years until college to be able to really find and start rebuilding my native family here in town and that's been important to me ever since so do do you notice a different um, when we talk about uh, our our families uh, families from the reservation and how they live and families outside of the reservation and how how we live outside here are we disconnected here or do you feel like we're more connected family wise or well I'll say generally speaking talking in broad terms that family community culture connection is incredibly important to Native people. And it's kind of funny that oftentimes it's really common for somebody to have, you know, 17 cousins that they're not actually related to, but they're just cousins, right? <laughs> oh, I'll say that over my years of working here in the community, folks like Dr. Mari Garza, Maria Rocha, who run the Indigenous Cultures Institute, we've known each other for 
ever since I was a skinny teenager, right? And they've kind of become adopted family over time, and that just happens uh, within the Native community. I have a a lot of self-proclaimed mothers. <laughs> but that's a good thing, right? That, that's, that's a, a good great thing. thing. Yeah. I mean, Native folks are interwoven, and uh, part of my background, my scholarly work, is looking at Native American experiences and in education, and it's a little bit of a tangent, but you often find college kids who come from Native background or tribal areas really struggle being in a space like Texas State or UT because they feel disconnected. They don't want to come to spaces like these. There's a really powerful story from some of my research where oh, one of the professors I was researching was telling a story about how there was a student he was working with, non-degree seeking, really smart, really bright. He wanted to encourage this kid to get enrolled to actually get that degree. When he asked him why he didn't want to, the student's response was, I don't want my elders to think that I think I'm better than they are. So there's a lot of power in community and family and that respect for elders. There is in a lot of different cultures. I want to acknowledge that, in, even in the mainstream, but it's particularly prominent in, among our Native people. So so for yourself here, here at Texas State, uh, I know that, you know, there's um, a place for the Hispanic people to go to, you know, organizations that they have. And so it's like that for a lot, a lot of people that are in the minority group. But there wasn't anything like that for an indigenous person to go to, I'm going to assume, or was there? Uh, specifically at the university uh, you're asking at about? Texas State, yeah. Sure, there is a longstanding Native American Student Association. Matter of fact, back when I was on campus, I was oh, part of that and helped put on a few events with them. Much like a lot of student groups, you know, uh, good folks graduate and it's hard to keep it filled. I've gathered they've kind of gone back and forth in activity over the years. But one of the important things I want to acknowledge is a, a lot of our focus with the Indigenous Cultures Institute is focused on building that Indigenous identity among the local Indigenous people of Texas, Northern Mexico, folks who are often called Hispanic or Latino or Latinx but their blood, their history, their culture is tied to this land. They're indigenous, but due to a lot of messy politics, they've been lab miscorrectly labeled. So a lot of my elders are doing a lot of good work to help reclaim that identity among our young people. The the politics and that also of the Catholic Church coming in and um, uh, coming in and baptizing you under the, you know, the Catholic religion, and so your identity kind of goes away because now you've adopted this uh religion and so you you also with this religion have a new name now that has been your christian name mm. and so you know a hundred years later you know you, you your grandkids don't know that they come from these indigenous backgrounds and i think we had emmy on and i mm. asked her this question about dna you know because so many of us that are european can go on and say where do i come from or you know here's my tree and i said how do you how do you say that to uh a young person who comes to you and, and says, you know, how do I know? And she said, well, it's by the color of your skin, so what, what am I? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that's that's very interesting, yeah. Um, are we ready for a break? Yeah, or? I was going to take a quick break there, but I was going to ask, Aaron. so, you know, coming from the Choctaw Nation in uh, southern Oklahoma that was more established, right? And had uh, you talked about having the schools and having those things, whereas a lot of the other indigenous, uh, especially around the Texas area, uh, indigenous members uh, that uh, just did not have that connection with their teachers, you know, and with the education and, you know, coming to Texas State, you know, what kind of things have you seen there about, you know, the, the, the advantages that you had with your education? Absolutely. It's a really good question. And the difference between those communities, the, those with federal recognition, those tribes without federal recognition and who have lost those identities. I mean, that's a really interesting story that shows how even among traditionally disempowered people like Native, Native Americans, there are still lever levels of privilege and power that we have to acknowledge and work with and hopefully build bridges across those folks. My opportunities have really been remarkable and a lot of that has come through 
going a undergrad degree, a master's degree, and then a PhD, having elders and having people in my support, my corner, kind of supporting along that way, and that those people come from across the spectrum, right, from family as well as my elders and supporters here in the local community. So being a Choctaw, but working in the local indigenous community, I see myself. You know, I am not the expert on their culture and what's going on in this world, but I'm an ally that, well, like we all should do, find opportunities to use my privilege to help build up their voices and provide space for them. All right. So, yes, Kathy, we're going to go ahead and take a quick station ID break here. And uh, Aaron Pyle here from the uh, uh, Indigenous Cultures Institute. And we're going to be talking, coming back here, uh, Kathy Laura, with a little bit more about the Sacred Springs Powwow coming up next weekend. KZSM.org, True Community Radio. And just as a reminder that the views expressed on the show are those of the hosts, the guests, and not necessarily those of SMTXCRA or KZSM. We'll be right back with you. That's why sunscreen and other safety measures are key to protecting your skin from aging and cancer. The FDA recommends using a sunscreen with a sun protection factor, or SPF, of 15 or higher. Also, look for broad spectrum on the label. That means both harmful ultraviolet A and B rays are blocked. UVA rays age the skin, UVB rays burn, and both cause cancer. But the perfect sunscreen doesn't count if you use it wrong. Don't need sunscreen on a cloudy day? Wrong. 80% of UV rays still get through the haze. Only use sunscreen at the beach? Nope. Anytime you're outside, UV rays attack the skin, so you need protection. And you have to reapply sunscreen every two hours. Remember, SPF plus broad spectrum equal healthy fun in the sun. Visit www.fda.gov sunscreen for more information. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. La familia Mendoza empezar el día oyendo esto es algo habitual. Por suerte, ir al bosque y terminar el día escuchando esto otro es posible. Ese respiro que tu familia necesita está a menos de 90 minutos. El bosque, más cerca de lo que crees. Entra en descubreelbosque.org y descubre el bosque más cercano. Un mensaje del Servicio Forestal de los Estados Unidos y el Ad Council. ¿Estás bien? Mm, no sé. Dime. Es que, bueno, no sé cómo decirlo. A veces me siento perdida. Nunca fui. Cuando tus niños no encuentren las palabras, ayúdalos a encontrar la canción. Escucha el álbum Sound It Out y obtén consejos y herramientas para empezar una conversación en EscuchandoSentimientos.org. Un mensaje de Ad Council y Pivotal Ventures. Hey, I'm back in the studio with you here on uh, uh, an earlier version of Rice's today. We're uh, swapping an hour out from uh, Revolving Door today uh, to uh, be talking with uh, Aaron Pyle from the Sacred Springs Pow Wow here. And Kathy, all Thank back you. to you. So I, I want to ask this question about the education because you mentioned earlier about uh, the younger generation not wanting to... Um, I guess, uh, what was the word that you said, the older generation to, um, oh, what, what was the word that you said? Uh, not wanting to, oh, well, I'm lost for a word here. Reclaim? Oh. Well, not to reclaim, but. Oh, but to not to show up. Not to not show up. To, to, yeah. Not to be, uh, uh, you did not want to uh, uh, make your elders or, look overshadowed. Yeah. yeah, overshadow. So is there a big emphasis now uh, from the nations for the younger generation to go out and to get educated and go out, out there and go to these universities and educate yourself and then come back? Or how, 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 do, you, how do you view that? Absolutely. That is a big conversation in Indian country. Those conversations that focus on, you know, it's very easy for folks to leave a rural community and not come back or find an opportunity to contribute to the tribe. But because there is that big focus on family and community in our culture, it's a little bit different of a story. So there is a big focus on education in indigenous community. That's 
you know, I hate to talk in generalizations because there's so much variation in Native American identity, but the past couple decades have seen a big focus. You have my tribe, the Choctaws, that are doing incredible work. They have a higher education program. They're on site in the local universities. They're doing K-12 advocacy and support, not just for Choctaw kids, but providing funding for all of southeastern Oklahoma. Here in Central Texas, um, you know, there are a handful of federally recognized tribes in Texas. It's important to note none of them are originally from Texas. Great work being done there, um, but when we're talking about the actual indigenous people of this area, there's a big focus on nonprofits. So looking at the Indigenous Cultures Institute, that so much of our focus and emphasis is on the youth, right? Getting out and providing them opportunity to connect with culture. Giving them the stories to say, you know, so many indigenous, Latinx, Hispanic youth have been told, you know, the barriers to education, the barriers to success, having these narratives just ingrained over decades. The Indigenous Cultures Institute is going in and changing that story to say, no, you come from the Kwayutekans, the Michika, the Mayan, civilizations that were doing incredible things when Europe was still a big pile of mud. Like, you have a legacy and a history to be proud of. So we're trying to emphasize that message across all of our programs. Most notably, we have a summer encounter, a big summer camp, running for 11 years this past season, where we provide a free summer programming for a week for San Marcos area youth, and they're learning Aztec dance. They're learning how to interweave art with traditional mathematics and learning opportunities. And, you know, we look at the reviews that they give afterwards and they talk about the importance of family and respecting elders. And I didn't know this was my legacy. And it's just a really beautiful thing to look at. So growing up, um, the Westerns uh, for people like myself and a lot of, a lot of homes played a big a big part of our viewing and so uh, we know that um, the indigenous community sometimes wasn't shown in a in a good light what would you say is like the biggest misconception that you think there was in in the movies sure oh that's a big conversation a lot to unpack there (laughs) the biggest message that i always try to emphasize i'm going to say two things is one again respect for the variation of indigenous identity right um oftentimes there's just kind of a single story of what it means to be indian but we didn't all live in teepees um so much of what people often picture from the mainstream zeitgeist about what it means to be native comes from the old westerns and dime store novels and hunting buffalo but you have to realize i mean there's such variation of the land across this continent and across south america for that matter that life ways were incredibly different so as cultures change and native people have the right to be modern as anybody else but over time, as we change, there's still that connection with land, but there's still a lot of variation of what our communities and lifestyles are like. Um, the other thing that I'll mention just real quickly is too often the stories that get told about us are all focused on damage narratives, right? When people like to talk about Indians, they like to talk about poverty, substance abuse, all the cliches. And there's truth to that. But it's not the entire truth. There's also a lot of success and a lot of good work being done in Indian country. And our young people have the right to hear those stories, too. Um, you know, I told you that this is probably I, probably one of the um, areas that I don't really know a lot about. And um, kind of like you mentioned about in the movies, and you, for myself, you know, you have this, this mentality that oh, you know, you're going to see this Indian chief and he's going to have these squaws sitting around this um, campfire and the teepees. And I went on to look at um, the uh, Choctaw Nation. Mm -hmm. Choctaw Nation. I was so surprised to see just this webpage that they had and all the things, like you mentioned, that are going on. And now they've got this whole thing where they've got a governor, I guess, and he oversees, I guess, the business part of the tribe. I, you know, it blew my mind because you see that focus there on education. You see that focus there on housing. And so um, I guess kind of like you said, a lot of it is done with federal money, uh, a large part of it. And then you have those that 
that have that business part of it because I saw on their website where they have like a SBA for the Small Business Administration. They've got all kinds of stuff going on there. So it seems like they are trying to get um, their uh, footing in the door to try to advance. So is that kind of how it is for the uh, Indian tribe that you come from or the Indian nation that you come from, kind of along the same lines? Sure. So really important to acknowledge that there are your federally recognized tribes and then your non-recognized tribes, and their stories are very different. But kind of what you're aiming for, the federally recognized tribes, are actually their own governments. They're considered sovereign nations within the sovereign nation. So my tribe, the Choctaw, we have our own court system. Uh, we have our own chief, chief executive officer, and then we have a tribal council that does kind of act as those three branches of government. Um, a lot of federally recognized tribes have that model, which obviously the impact, you can see the layers of colonialism coming around, right? These were all developed in the, 18, in the 19th century, 1800s, when there were big pressures from the federal government in designing these systems. However, in the modern era, they are doing some really incredible work. The latter 20th century saw a period where the tribes were growing in a way that they were able to invest in education. They were able to invest in their own health care. And I'll tell you that native health care out of Oklahoma is some of the best health care being done in the country right now. So it is an interesting system, but we also have to acknowledge that this idea of recognition is messy, right? How many indigenous people? Again, there is not a single federally recognized tribe in Texas from, from Texas. So what about all the native people that lived here? Did they disappear? No. But we're in a case that because we have this system where indigeneity, native identity, depends on the government of the United States to give validity, right? They don't have access to the same resources, and it's problematic. Again, so, going back to that point about how even among traditionally disempowered people, there's level layers of privilege. So those are the ones that 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 were caught not not having to be moved to a, to a reservation, so they kind of stayed here and they just uh, uh, I guess survived however they could, not being part of a tribe. So how do you um, for say some of those in this area? Um, there is not a, as you said, a, feder a federally recognized tribe here. So what do you say to somebody like that who knows that they may come from an indigenous background? Wh wh what are they supposed to do? Talk to your elders. That's the most important thing. You know, I know lots of friends who move through those identities, and they tell stories about how in our family, we don't talk about our indigenous background, but one day my grandmother pulled me aside and said, we're indigenous. The foods we're eating, the tamales, the beans, the corn, this the all comes, yeah. yes, this all comes down through our history. It's indigenous to this land. So talk to your elders. That's the most important thing. And there are people who are doing this work if you're interested in kind of wider networks to get involved in. Of course, the Indigenous Cultures Institute is a big force, and i got to keep plugging them because well, <laughs> they're friends and family. But taking a look at our information or even look at lots of danzantes, Aztec dance groups in the areas, other nonprofits, there's a growing movement in, across the American South to kind of reclaim these forms of identity. So good people out there go and connect with them. Uh, we had a conversation with Emmy and we were talking about the repatriation of the uh, three um, bodies that are at, at UT. How are you guys doing in that area? Sure, we are keeping that conversation going. Uh, for a little backstory, um, the Indigenous Cultures Institute worked, oh, back in 2016, if I remember correctly, with Texas State University to oh, take steward um, bodies that were pulled out of the ground that the university was holding and the city of San Marcos gave us land to create a repatriation cemetery outside of town so that is there and protected and really beautiful that we that the elders were able to put their ancestors back in um, we're having similar conversations with UT Austin about three remains pulled from Hayes County 
Um, the university told us in 2020 that they would honor the commitment and work with us to put it back in the ground. They're now pushing back on it two years later. So where we're moving with that now, you know, so much of the decision making on this is still being guided by the elders. Again, I just want to say that these are not my ancestors. My people are not from this land, but trying to be an ally and learn through this process. And where we are right now is just trying to share the story, hopefully hold UT accountable. And the framing that they're trying to put on this, you know, we had people ask, should we go and do protests and that sort of thing? But our elders framing is like, no, our goal here is to frame this as a prayer. We're trying to do this in the right way, in the indigenous way, which means we respect everybody. And UT Austin is an incredible institution. Love them to death. But this is an area where we hope that they're going to turn in the right direction. In my mind, I, I can't <laughs> see or I don't understand why they would want to hold on to to, to these uh, uh, bodies that you're trying to, to repatriate. But I guess we can ask that, that question. Uh, do you need to take a break? Yeah, let's take a break, and then maybe we can talk about that coming back, okay? This is KCSM.org, Tree Community Radio. We'll be right back with you. Hey, y'all, this is Diesel D, host of KZSM's Veterans Hour. I want to remind everybody that Soldier Songs and Voices is meeting every Monday at Cheatham Street Warehouse from 5 until 7 p.m. If you are a veteran or active service member of the Armed Forces and want to learn how to write songs and play guitar, stop by Cheatham Street Warehouse located at 119 Cheatham Street or visit us online at soldiersongsandvoices.com. ¿Recuerdas la última vez que tu familia visitó el bosque? Es un lugar de maravilla e imaginación para toda la familia, donde las historias cobran vida y está más cerca de lo que crees. ¿Listo para planear tu próxima visita? Haz que el bosque forme parte de tu historia hoy en un parque local cerca de ti o encuentra uno en descubreelbosque.org, traído a ti por el Servicio Forestal de los Estados Unidos y el Ad Council. She can stem. A message brought to you by the Ad Council. And we're back with you here after those uh, public service announcements. Uh, Kathy Lar here on Briasis, uh, or an hour early, although our official Briasis will be coming up. But uh, uh, we wanted to get Aaron Pyle in here to talk about the Sacred Springs powwow. And uh, we were talking right before the break about a uh, current case in UT, and it came back up in the news again this week, where uh, uh, some of the members of the Indigenous Cultures Institute here in uh, San Marcos in, in Hayes County are pushing for repatriation of the uh, uh, remains that they know of. Not it's not we're not talking all the remains, just certain sets of remains that they know of at the UT campus. Correct? It's in the UT uh, uh, that they're trying to get back for reburial. Correct? That's correct. UT Austin has one of the largest collections, and I really hate that term because it feels yeah. really gross, yeah. but yeah. one of the largest uh, groups of indigenous bodies of any institution in the country, over 2,500 individuals. We're only talking about three remains that were pulled from Hayes County in the land that the Miyakin Garzas can trace their ancestry from. So we, we, we hope, and uh, we uh, uh, would hope that UT will, will, will do what, what is in the best interest for the the uh, Garzas, and uh, we will go ahead and and uh, as you said, they're going to leave it to prayer. So we'll, we'll leave it at that, and uh, we'll we'll move on to the to the next thing. So tell us about the powwow. Sure, Sacred Springs powwow. This is a large Native American festival. It's our twelfth year running. Going to happen next weekend, Saturday, October first, and Sunday, October second. Oh, it's an event that, you know, we talked earlier about how there's no travel groups, just nonprofits in the area. So, but, I mean, Texas has the fifth largest Native American population of any of the states. So there are lots of Native people running around here. 
and powwow events like these are a good opportunity for us to come together build community share this with others so for those coming to the powwow you'll see lots of different things uh, the biggest thing going on is our dancing arena um, there's a large tent we put up that has dancing of all different kinds throughout the day accompanied by traditional native american drumming um, lots of different traditions can go in about dancing but i'll just throw out for any potential dancers listening that we do have a pot of prize money of about twelve thousand dollars so that helps us ensure that we are pulling some of the best dancers top tier native american dancers from across indian country along with the dance arenas we also will have oh about 50 arts and crafts vendors selling everything from jewelry to traditional shoes and all kinds of good stuff and i can't talk about the vendors without mentioning our food uh, come get yourself a navajo taco and fry bread you will not be disappointed so all of this is going to be on the uh grounds of uh the former aquarina springs uh there at uh, you at uh, texas state correct um known as the meadow center Thank right you. across from the stadium all right and so parking uh, where are people going to be able to park because it's uh, i'm sure it's not going to be all right there are they going to be having uh, parking across at the stadium and then you can come across is that that's correct unfortunately we have to reserve the on-site the minimal on-site parking we have there is available for handicapped folks and all of the ins and outs you require for a big event like this but the general public can park on the parking lot on either side of bobcat stadium and we will have shuttles running throughout the day including a handicap shuttle for all folks coming for general admission so just know you'll have to park a little ways away but we will have air-conditioned shuttles moving you back and forth so what's the cost of entry yeah cost of entry is six dollars on saturday five dollars on sunday and then eight dollars uh, for a full weekend pass children 12 and under can come in free all right and uh yes definitely encourage the children because that's uh, the the events and things that are there for the children uh, to to get involved and to to learn and uh, it's uh, just it's one of the neat things that I think I've seen before uh, from the Powwow Springs, ma'am. If you just come up and push that door, I'm I'm trying to let you in so you don't have to stay out in the sun out there. Just come in so, and push it. There you go. So <laughs> let me ask this question about the dances that are coming the uh is it open to anybody any dancer in the united states or can somebody from canada come and participate or uh, is it just for locals or great question yep um any folks who know the tradition um and uh, there is a circuit of powwow dancers that will travel and come join us so it is open to anybody um when i say open to anybody that means you are actually a powwow dancer <laughs> there, there are a couple points during the event where we have what's called an inner tribal dance where the mc will let anybody come in in the arena and they'll lead you in a circle to be able to dance but for the most part the general public oh needs to stay on the side because that is kind of considered ceremonial space mm. Well, and uh, definitely it is not only ceremonial, but it is just a, there's certain etiquette. I know uh, uh, Uncle Gene has had uh, different, uh, uh, on his show here, has talked about etiquette at powwows and certain things that people don't realize. So, and this is very, very open to a lot of different uh, uh, people in the community that normally wouldn't be going to powwows are going to be coming to this powwow. And I think that is very, uh, uh, just understand, you know, just do things very lightly okay that you are a guest and there's a lot of different cultures there's a lot of different uh, uh, time honored traditions that you have to be aware of at the powwow so uh, again uh, you know uh, just knowing the etiquette i think is important absolutely and you know it's mostly common sense stuff uh, good courtesy um if you're seen dancing in the arena, you kind of have free reign to take as many photos and videos as you want. Um, if the MC says, oh, this is a ceremonial moment, no photos, just respect those moments. Um, if you're walking around and you see a dancer and want to take their photo, just ask their permission. If they're in the arena, 
again, free reign. But if they're just kind of walking around, uh, please ask their permission if it's okay to get a photo with them. Again, just kind of common courtesy stuff. We want to make sure that everybody feels comfortable in these spaces. And if you don't know, you're very welcome to ask. Our team is pretty pretty friendly in that way. <laughs> now, are you still looking for any volunteers, anyone to help out for next week? Volunteers are always welcome. Uh, you can find information on what that means to sign up for a volunteer at our website, sspowwow.com. So you mentioned about the ceremon- ceremonial dances. Are, are those different within the tribes, or, or are they the same? Or Sure. Um, each different tribes do certainly have different traditions. Um, my own people, the Choctaw, have what's called the rattlesnake is important in our tradition, so they have a, what's called a snake dance where you kind of follow folks around and uh, weaving through. But what you'll generally see at powwow is a lot of dances that have come up in the intertribal culture, right? So they may have started with the Lakota or the Kiowa, um, but you see them often at powwows where you might have dancers from across the spectrum of Native American identity, right? So there's dances like the grass dance, which simulates the idea of making movement um, in large grasses of the Great Plains, right? Uh, We have a northern drum group and a southern drum group, which trade off throughout the day on different dances and you'll notice different distinct differences between them uh northern drums tend to be a little faster paced and a little higher why because they come from a tradition where they need to get their noise out across the plains right so (laughs) there are definitely good background information but you'll find dancers from different tribal identities taking part in each dance most of the time so mexico i don't think they don't have uh a system like we have here in the United States for reservations and I don't even think that they have anything for their indigenous people to fall back on but I I have seen where they do have uh, the culture of dance do you have any groups that come in from Mexico to come to your powwow to dance some of the traditional dances that they have so glad you asked that question. So one of the long-running themes of Sacred Springs powwow is uniting eagle and condor uniting North America and South America, building bridges across our native people, right? That's a big theme of the Indigenous Cultures Institute. So in the past, we've had musicians from Peru, we've had uh, musicians from Guatemala, but one of the big things that features at every powwow, Sacred Springs powwow, and one of the things that makes our event kind of unique is we always have an exhibition of Aztec dance, uh, Machica dance, which is a very different style, fast-paced, big feathers it's a really beautiful representation of well this area and south of here their indigenous traditions so that will take place in the afternoon on both saturday and sunday Um, you can check out sacred springs powwow Uh, we have a calendar on events if you particularly want to check out that dance in the afternoon yeah i i i find that fascinating like i told you i am kind of new to to this thing but i have seen the the aztec dances and so just like you mentioned, just those feathers are just incredible. It's just beautiful. So, yeah, I think uh, that's going to be worth a show worth seeing in itself. Um, the uh, How long has the powwow been? Uh, did you say 11 years? This is going to be year number 12. 12. And we, of course, the past couple of years, we had a remote powwow, an online powwow with a dance competition that allowed us to pull in dancers from Canada from the western coast from you know allow folks that were originally outside of our area of easy access to participate and that really helped this event the way we did that really helped this event build that international presence right so we're hoping that's going to turn keep creating opportunities for us to keep this event going in san marcus in a good way are you seeing the numbers of the people that are attending the event now grow well, let me get back to you after this event. <laughs> it's the first year back, and you never know what to expect. But We've had two years off for COVID. That who knows, uh, trying to get everything going again, right? True. It's been interesting, I'll say yeah. that. But fortunately, you know, we have a good following of volunteers and people, a lot of good heart in this event. So it that was a concern early on. Are our people going to come back? And so far, it's, we've been very pleasantly surprised how loyal all people have been. 
So we're good. So, yeah, let me take a quick session ID break. You're listening to KCSM.org. This is uh, an uh, hour early of uh, ASIS here on KCSM. I'm Rob Burke, your host, along with Kathy Laura. And uh, Aaron Pyle is here as our guest talking about the uh, powwow next weekend, Sacred Spring, uh, coming up here in uh, San Marcos at the Meadow Center. So uh, make time to uh, put that one on for your list for this next week. A couple of shows that are going to be coming up here in the next day or so. Hey, Sid, what are you listening to? I'm listening to Sid's Place, my show, the best oldies in the world. I'm on every Monday from 4 to 6 p.m. on KZSM, your true community radio station here in San Marcos, Texas. This is Free Thought Radio with co-hosts Dan Barker and Annie Laurie Gaylor. Irreverent views, news, music, and interview. Tune in Mondays, 11 a.m. to hear Free Thought Radio right here on kzsm.org, your true community radio station. Free Thought Radio is underwritten locally by the Hill Country Freethinkers. The end of a very long week is at hand. You've made it through. Whew, it's time for a drink. Pour a cold one, pet the cat, take your shoes off, and just like that, I'm right here with you in a blink. Spinning the tunes you want to hear and talking to people you want to know. I'm there. KZSM.org, 8 to 10 Central Standard Time. On Fridays, you're listening to Friday Night with Care. And we're back with you here in the studio, kzsm.org, on a Sunday afternoon. Thanks for joining us here. And uh, Kathy is uh, here interviewing uh, Mr. Aaron Pyle uh, from the uh, Indigenous Cultures Institute. And we're talking about the Sacred Springs powwow that's coming up next weekend. Um, it's Kathy. Yeah, I, I have one one last question that I want to ask you. Um as as you move forward in working with the institute, um, what what is your goal or you, your dream to see for the um, indigenous nation as we move forward into the future? Well, specifically in this region, we need more opportunity. We need more space to gather and make community. San Marcos is home to the site that is the longest continually inhabited site in North America, over by the springs. The sacred springs, formerly known as Aquarina, are actually one of several sites that the Quayutecans believe that their ancestors followed deer from out from the underworld. Mm. So we know this area has both that scientific, that archaeological, but also the spiritual and cultural importance. There's no reason why we shouldn't be a, a, a hub, a center of indigenous activity. So over the past few years, Indigenous Cultures Institute has been looking at ways of building an indigenous culture center in conversations with the county and the city and lots of good entities that are behind this and wanting to make this push. And I hope that those involved in your viewers understand that this is a space that wouldn't be just about you know, the Indigenous Cultures Institute, we're off doing our thing. No, it's a space for community. It's a space where the many Indigenous people in this region can come and take part in community and build events and build gardens and all of this beautiful stuff. So finding more opportunity for Native people to have a space to call home. That's one thing that we really need in Central Texas. So is the, the tribe that Dr. Garza Dr. Garza from, they are federally recognized? No, no. the Miakin Garzas were recognized by the Texas State Legislature 2016 or 2017. No, I'm off on my date, but they've <laughs> been recognized by the Texas State Legislature. But they are not federally recognized, but that doesn't, I come from a federally recognized tribe and their indigeneity is just as valid as my own. Okay. So, uh, Rob, do you have a question that you'd like to ask or? Well, I guess 
one of the things is that for those that are unsure of their ethnicity, that are unsure of am I indigenous, we've talked about this uh, before uh, when we've had uh, some folks from the uh, center uh, on the air with us here, is that you know depending on your skin color and where you're at and there's certain things but how is the best way for people to delve back into finding their native american roots is it you know coming out to the powwow is it sitting out there and and talking to tribal elders finding elders to talk to is it uh, getting in touch with the indigenous culture and coming out to maybe other workshops it's a really great question. The most important thing is, again, pointing back to talk to the elders in your family. Where the stories are centered and connected, they're the ones who have those stories. So talk to your grandparents, talk to your parents. Make sure and collect those stories while we can. Um, and then, again, look around to a lot of the great work being done in this area. Once you have an idea of who your people are, Find opportunity to connect with them and make community. I mean, the central thing about Native American identity, there's blood, there's skin, sure, but connection to people and place and land is what's at the heart of it. Well, and we talk on this uh, program about how important those stories are, documenting those, the past, the present, the future. That's what we're doing this for, is to keep these stories alive and keeping them uh, active and to encourage the next generation to go out and for you to use that as a bridge work, whether it is through a meal, whether it is through a, uh, a special uh, time that you're just sitting there and and making that time together uh you know and maybe this is also one of those times that you can make some stories and find those stories within your uh your history you know is by coming out to the uh, sacred strings powwow absolutely that's what this space is for so come on out next weekend october 1st and 2nd we will love to see you there so we're going to close out the show and you did you did tell me that you um do you have a um it's not a degree but you're registered as uh an artisan in playing the flute or sure so i'm a native american flute player um have been since i was a kid and i've had a little side career as a flute player i'm registered with the texas commission on the arts touring roster i've played at the alamo the bob bullock lots of little gigs over time so if y'all are down for it i'd be happy to share a little flute music to close us out so is there a a name for the for the song that you're going to play or I've been asked that question for several years, and I've never had a good answer. So there are standard songs out in the repertoire, but this is a piece that I've just kind of built in my fingers and built in my heart over time. Okay, well, let's, let's hear it. Thank you. 
was wonderful. We want to thank you for coming out uh, to the show. We hope you'll come back and join us in the in the near future. And for all our listeners out there, please, please make it out to the uh, Sacred Springs Powwow next Saturday and Sunday. And uh, Aaron Pyle, thank you very much for coming in from the Indigenous Cultures Institute here. And uh, especially as busy as you are going to be, you've been on the phone, and uh, hopefully we gave you a little bit of a break today uh, here, but uh, you've got a lot of uh, coordinating to do, and there's a lot of food, there's a lot of feasting, there's a lot of planning, there's a lot of things, and uh, folks coming in from all over uh, the uh, nation here to San Marcos next weekend. So, uh, folks, get out there, and whether or not you are uh, Anglo, Hispanic, Indigenous, whatever you, your race may be, this is all about community, and this is about learning about your community, and uh, uh, it's you can't beat the price, and it's right here. So uh, get the kids out, and use it as an opportunity, no matter what your ethnicity is to build stories, to talk about those stories, and to make that a part of your legacy in your family, because those are the important things to keep in mind. KZSM.org, True Community Radio, and uh, we're going to be back next week uh, here with the normal time uh, for our revolving door, and uh, we're going to be... having a couple different guests on next week uh and uh uh, oh uh, again thanks out to uh mary for uh, helping to get uh our folks in here for us on the musical side of things uh here uh, from uh live bands playing in the hill bands playing local bands playing in the hill country sorry about that mary and uh gonna be on here this next week and i just had lost that i'm sorry kathy and then we're gonna get get switched over here and so uh, coming up next week uh, gareth fowler is uh, going to be uh, here on Sunday, October 2nd at 5 o'clock. And then Souls Extolled will be here at 6 o'clock talking about a uh, event coming up here, uh, Fright Fest, that we're going to be having here in San Marcos uh, Heavy Metal at the end of the month. KZSM.org. And uh, Kathy, who do we come, have coming up next year We for have us? Gloria Delgadio, who's going to be on the show next. So uh, stay tuned. Uh, come back and listen to to our conversation with Gloria. KZSM.org. Thank you very much.